Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sound Strategic. I'm Ayan Owens. In today's episode, we're going to look at NATO's changing perspective on China. While NATO and China have an informal relationship, this has largely been a cooperative one until 2019. In December last year, Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg of NATO stated that China posed a new challenge to the alliance. China, he said, has come to NATO. And at the NATO Leaders Summit in London last year, China became a main agenda item for the first time ever. Joining us today to help us understand why NATO is turning its attention to the East and what challenges China poses to NATO is Helena de Garda. Helena is a senior analyst at Merix, the Mercator Institute for China Studies, based in Berlin. Her research focuses on China's foreign and security policies, including their domestic sources and drivers, and their geopolitical impact. She's my colleague and co-lead of the China Security Project, a collaboration between the WIWS and Merix that seeks to question how changes to China's defense and security landscape impacts European security. And she's also the co-lead of our project on China and NATO under the auspices of the China Security Project that's being co-funded by NATO's Public Diplomacy Division. Prior to joining Merix, Helena gained professional experience at the delegation of the European Union to China and at the research and advisory firm China Policy in Beijing. She holds a Master in Public Policy degree with a focus on international and global affairs from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and a BA in China Studies from the University of Oxford. Welcome to the show, Helena. Thank you, Maya. Thanks for having me. So before we move into the why and how NATO's policy has changed, let's talk a little bit first about what Sino-NATO relations looked like prior to 2019, before things started to change in the relationship? So that's a really great question. Um, China-NATO relations and China's approach to NATO in general has always been, I would say, awkward at best and adversarial at worst. Um, China has strong memories of the 1999 bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade, uh, which was a NATO uh, part of a NATO campaign. And of course, China also strongly remembers the arms embargo that some NATO members imposed on China after the 1989 Tiananmen incident. So China's opinion of NATO wasn't very uh, high to start with. There was some talk of potential cooperation between China and NATO in the early 2000s, when China had a much less global and ambitious military presence, and when the 9-11 attacks created some common ground between the two sides when focusing on the fight against terrorism. Um, But that kind of more positive relationship didn't last very long. Uh, NATO's enlargement into the East definitely didn't help either. Uh, It made Russia very nervous and it kind of caught China's eye as well. Because at heart, China has always viewed the alliance as a U.S.-centric alliance. And therefore, China-U.S. relations have always colored how Beijing approaches NATO as a whole. Uh, And that's something that we see in particular today. But of course, we definitely saw before 2019 as well. I mean, in the past, and I'm thinking here to those years around um, 2008, when NATO and China started, I think, talking on a more formal basis at a high political level about how they could engage with each other. Anti-piracy and um, security cooperation in the global commons seemed to be an area that was thought of quite positively by both sides. 
Yeah, absolutely. And China has been conducting counterparty operations off the Gulf of Aden since, I believe, late 2008 or early 2009. And NATO also has a presence there. So there's been some cooperation on that. There was some talk about cooperating on on, on anti-terrorism as well. So there there are opportunities for cooperation, and those definitely were at the top of the agenda around 2008. Uh, with the U.S. taking a stronger stance on China, uh, not just under the Trump administration, but even with the Obama administration, the pivot to Asia, China definitely became a little bit more wary of the U.S. and therefore of NATO. And of course, the the relationship between Moscow and Beijing and those two sides becoming closer and closer together and developing a military relationship, which I wouldn't call alliance, but a relationship has also not helped NATO when it comes to relations with China. So going back to the late 1990s with the bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade by NATO forces, China's interpretation of that was very negative, as you said. China didn't believe that this was a mistake, didn't believe that this was an accident at all. Uh, it believed that this was um, a uh, push by uh, the United States to directly target China um, under the auspices of NATO. Uh, with that in mind, uh, and that that antagonistic view of, of or negative view of NATO in mind, what did China get out of the bilateral relationship with NATO moving forward in the 2000s? Um, I think it's absolutely true that China responded very negatively to the bombing of the embassy. But I do think that the fact that the US and NATO and a few other countries that are members of the alliance came out and apologized outright publicly definitely helped. Uh, it didn't fix the issue, but it helped. Uh, but of course, the, the bombing comes up every time NATO is discussed in China, right? So that still very much underlines any discussion or any debate in China about NATO. Um, in terms of what did China get out of it afterwards, I think that the fight against terrorism is an issue that China thought would definitely potentially work in its interest, right? So as NATO started to focus more on the campaign in Afghanistan, the fight against terrorism, in the Middle East, that's something that China had an interest in as well, uh, partly for domestic reasons. Um, Beijing is, of course, concerned officially, the official line is, is concerned about terrorist activities in Afghanistan or in the Middle East and their potential for them to kind of spill over into Chinese territory through their shared border. So I think they saw an opportunity to either cooperate or at least to benefit from the stability that NATO could potentially bring to the region. So I thought I consider this a very kind of strategic, self-interested move by China. Yeah, I think we also see that in the area of um, counter-piracy operations. China, of course, conducted its its unilateral, its own counter-piracy operations off the coast of um, Northeast Africa, off the Horn of Africa. Um, and on an ad hoc basis, cooperated with um, NATO task forces um, and, and other multilateral task forces um, from time to time. But I think there, again, we see a motivation of um, what they would, I suppose, now call win-win uh, opportunities 
uh, the opportunity not just to cooperate on um, providing a, a global security uh, good, but also to learn, right, uh, for the PLA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you look at what the Chinese military, the People's Liberation Army, looked like 10 years ago, a bit longer than 10 years ago, more like 12, uh, it's it's a very different animal. Uh, the whole modernization process was still in its infancy. Um, their capabilities just weren't there in terms of having a, a global presence and, and having a, a blue water navy. So, yes, they saw an opportunity to learn, that's for sure. But second, we need to keep in mind that as uh, policies were pushed from Beijing, from the central government, for Chinese companies and citizens to become more global, to go out there to do business. And this is prior to the Belt and Road Initiative, but it's sort of along the same lines. They needed stability and China and the PLA just couldn't provide it. So it is, of course, in China's best interest to have NATO or to have the U.S. maintain stability in regions of strategic importance. Uh, So, yes, absolutely. From China's perspective, I would say at that time, a win-win. Things have changed today, of course. But back 10, 12 years ago, this was definitely in Beijing's interest. And of course, for the PLA Navy, an opportunity to learn from more experienced navies um, some real basic operational um, uh, and tactical lessons. Um, but moving on, uh, things have changed, as you said. So what has changed or or, what, or rather what changed in 2019 that led to the shift in NATO's perspective on China? Was it just a U.S. push, a hardening on U.S. Uh, relations with China, um, a more competitive relationship? Or did other things lead to the decision by NATO that it needed to start looking east? The U.S. push was definitely one of the main driving factors. Uh, I mean, we saw the U.S. in the years running up to 2019 and to the to the leaders summit in London in December of that year when China was first recognized as a challenge. Uh, although, of course, the language is very careful, so they... The, the declaration said that China presented challenges and opportunities, but still, so China was recognized as, as a strategic point of focus for the alliance going forward. A lot of this, I think, responds to a U.S. push. Uh, we had seen the U.S. trying to get NATO to focus more on China, on Asia, also following uh, Washington's priorities and, and, and evolving China policy, which, as we had seen, was becoming a lot more confrontational. Um, But that wasn't all of it, right? So the U.S. had been pushing for NATO to change its approach, to consider China more, but a lot of the European members of the alliance had been resisting that. Uh, But that changed quite substantially. We saw a hardening of positions in Europe when it comes to China. Earlier in 2019, uh, in the EU's uh, strategic framework about China, They branded China a negotiating partner, economic competitor, and systemic rival for the first time, again, reflecting very much a shift in position about Beijing and about what what China's role in, in the world was. And deep down, what this reflected is simply how China's own policies had evolved. We saw Beijing become a lot more ambitious globally. A lot more assertive, the Belt and Road Initiative uh, becoming a very relevant kind of point of discussion in Europe, 
when it came to investment, when it came to infrastructure, when it came to security. So the more that Beijing expanded globally, the more that European partners also saw the challenges and the potential threats that China's expanding global presence was, was posing to Europe and therefore to the alliance. So suddenly we, we saw a bit more alignment between the U.S. push to consider China more and the Europeans also agreeing that, yes, China should be on the agenda. So let's talk about those challenges a little bit. Secretary General Sultenberg said that this isn't about NATO going to the east physically. This is about China having come to Europe and to NATO's own region. So what are these main challenges that China poses to NATO? I think a number of issues have have been mentioned from China's ambitions in the Arctic to China's investment in European or NATO allied critical infrastructure, their growing economic and military might through modernization reforms. So let's talk through some of those. What do you think are the main ones that the that NATO is concerned about? There's a fairly long list. And as you said, uh, the Secretary General already has run through some of them. Um, I think one of the main issues that NATO is considering right now is, as you said, uh, the technology and investment side of things. So is aggressive efforts by by Chinese companies to establish a dominant presence in, in Europe's digital infrastructure. It is increasing Chinese investments into critical infrastructure, again, not just technological, but also industrial base, etc. Uh, and it is the cyberspace issue. Um, it's the issue of, of cyber espionage and tech transfers to China and to what extent that is helping China's military modernization. So that's, I think, one of the main issues that are being considered, but it's, of course, not the only one. Um, the closer and closer relationship between China and Russia, especially militarily, um, is definitely something that NATO is keeping an eye on. Again, Russia being traditionally the main focus of the alliance, the Soviet Union before, but now Russia. Um, I mean, Russia still considers sort of the main threat in in Europe. And the fact that China and Russia are collaborating a lot more. They're doing joint exercises together. I mean, we saw China and Russia conduct, conduct joint drills in the Mediterranean Sea in 2015 and in the Baltic Sea in 2017. That, of course, brought pause to, to the alliance. Um, again, as you said, China coming closer to NATO. Uh, so before NATO could sort of turn a blind eye to China a little bit because it was geographically far away. And it wasn't in NATO's area of operations, but that's no longer the case. Yeah, indeed. But I suppose also, whilst we're talking about this, although the NATO alliance has turned to thinking about what challenges China poses uh, to NATO, there might be discrepancies or at least a disunity within NATO allies uh, in their perspectives on China. Um, We see this in the European Union, of course, where different member states take very different approaches. Yes, the EU has a strategic outlook on China that mentions the word systemic rival. But that, of course, doesn't mean that every single country in the European Union agrees in which order China is either a cooperative partner, a systemic rival or um, an economic um, partner as well. Yeah, absolutely. There is a wide range of positions on this issue for sure. I mean, we've seen, again, the U.S. would like to see a much stronger China policy coming out of NATO and, and more of a of a China focus. Uh, some 
allies in Europe, especially in Eastern Europe, in Central Europe, those that are the most concerned about Russia, uh, seem to be in agreement that they will go along with U.S. demands to focus more on China as long as the U.S. continues to support them against Russia, right? So a bit of a quid pro quo. And then we have other allies, especially among the bigger EU member states, France, Germany, etc., that have some reservations. Um, they seem to want to see a more flexible approach on China coming out of NATO that aligns more with the EU strategic framework that, that we just discussed. So again, China not only as a systemic rival, but also as a partner. Um, so they would like to see that, and they would like to see more NATO cooperation with the European Union on, on its position on China. So those are the countries that were a little bit more of, I guess, holdouts when it, when it comes to NATO developing a China policy, or at least a common position on China. Um, and then there are some countries that I think deserve special mention, um, Turkey, for example, I think it's a really interesting case. Um, Turkey did not block the statement in, in December uh, coming out of the, of the leaders' meeting. But Turkey does have a closer relationship with China than a lot of the other EU member states that are NATO allies or any of the other NATO allies, right? Um, but still, Turkey went along. Um, why exactly that was, what the dynamics were internally, that's hard to say. But what this shows, I think, is that the diversity of opinions is quite wide, and that's not going to make it very easy for the NATO leaders to come to some sort of common position uh, in the future when it comes to China. No, I think within the NATO allies uh, themselves at national level, We've seen, um, I think, a difficulty in formulating China policies in and of themselves, just at the national level. Um, so looking at how the EU has struggled with this, I, I think it's a long road ahead still for NATO to, to develop its own China position that's common across and agreed upon across all NATO allies, um, despite there being this foundational agreement that, yes, China poses certain challenges. So what do you think a NATO policy on China might look like going forward? I suppose there's two questions. What will the policy look like going forward? And what will China's relationship with NATO look like going forward? Maybe let's do the first one first. So what will the policy look like going forward? Um, I mean, as you know, at this stage, it's a little bit hard to say. 2020 is a year of reflection for NATO. Uh, leaders won't meet again until 2021. And this year, Secretary General Stoltenberg has launched this reflection process called NATO 2030 to think about the future of the alliance and also consider the position that the alliance should take on China. Um, theoretically, by the end of this year, uh, they should have reached some sort of a tentative common view of the opportunities and challenges that China poses ready for next year's leaders' summit. So we will see what that looks like. Uh, given the diversity of opinions uh, uh, that we were just discussing, both at the national level and inside the alliance, I find it unlikely 
that they will arrive at a very sort of concrete, comprehensive policy or strategy on China. Uh, I expect to see probably more general guidelines in terms of how we can handle China in the future and a call to continue thinking about this and to continue trying to reach a common understanding. Um, I know um, some kind of forms of potential cooperation or engagement have been discussed. For example, the creation of a China Council, a NATO China Council, which would mimic a little bit the one that was created to engage Russia, the NATO-Russia Council. Uh, and this has been floated as an idea to potentially handle relations with Beijing. So creating a bit more of a structural mechanism for, for dialogue that could increase transparency and mutual understanding. But also this would have the benefit of placing all of the NATO allies on the same level. So in these councils, it's not really NATO plus one, it's all the NATO allies plus Beijing, sort of each representing themselves. So that's definitely a possibility, um, although there's been some frustration about the effectiveness and usefulness of the NATO-Russia Council. Um, so I could imagine that there may be some pushback against creating a similar structure uh, to deal with relations with China. Uh, honestly, I think a lot of this is also going to depend on what position the incoming Biden administration takes on China as well, uh, and to what extent we see a continued push from the U.S. to take a stronger stance on China, or if that shifts and they instead would like to see a more, at least balanced approach. I think what's also interesting to think about is how the EU is meant to speak as one voice, all EU 27 member states with China at a bilateral, uh, at an EU-China level. And China has very deftly in the past created a 17 plus one mechanism with some of the EU 27 member states to subvert almost that EU-China dialogue and create another channel for dialogue within that. That's almost parallel. Do you think that that might also be possible within NATO? that we'll see a, a 17 plus one like type of uh, organiz type of dialogue set up by China within NATO members? I'm unsure about that one. So China did create the 17 plus one format, but we've seen some of the members of that format, some of the European members, start to try to distance themselves from it because they didn't work as well as they expected. Generally, China tends to prefer bilateral relations to multilateral relations of any kind. Um, so we're probably going to see a lot more of Beijing trying to subvert any sort of NATO plan or effort to confront Beijing's behavior in some of those um, areas that we discussed earlier by engaging individual NATO allies and by trying to get them to basically act as spoilers. Uh, that's sort of throwing very much the the standard uh, Chinese playbook also within the EU, to be fair. Uh, so yes, there's the 17 plus one, but most often the novel we've seen is one single member state blocking certain initiatives uh, because they wanted to maintain friendly relations with Beijing for one reason or the other. So aside from the China Council, do you think that there are any other existing formats or mechanisms within NATO that might lend themselves to a more formal relationship with China? And what would the repercussions be of no formal relationship at all? Well, no formal relationship at all is the status quo. 
So we would continue exactly as as we are right now. Um, whether that's a good thing or not, I think that's that's debatable. Um, again, it would reduce the opportunities for for direct engagement with Beijing and for again direct discussions to take place on on issues of concern. Then again, um, to what extent that engagement with China would actually bring anything to NATO? Uh, that's a question that I think the alliance will have to ask itself. I, for example, don't see China becoming a NATO global partner, for example. Uh, I don't think that is going to happen. Why is that? <laughs> that's a hard question, Maya. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to get me, uh, put me on the spot. <laughs> Let me get my train of thought going. If you look at the different mechanisms that exists uh, that exist in terms of NATO partners around the globe, China just doesn't fit. Uh, and a huge part of the problem is the lack of shared norms and values and the lack of common interest, I guess, uh, in a lot of spaces where, where China and NATO operate. Uh, so I don't see that happening. Then again, Russia is still officially a NATO global partner, so I guess we could be surprised. So aside from internal disagreements, um, what other challenges do you see for NATO to develop a coherent China strategy? I think there's a few. I think the role of the European Union and potential collaboration with the European Union is probably going to be a stumbling block, um, partly because a lot of NATO allies that are EU member states, in particular France and Germany, uh, do want to push NATO to collaborate more with the EU. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, then I think that NATO in general, as I mentioned, is in the middle of this process of reflection, trying to figure out what its role is in the future and what it should be doing and where it should be operating. A lot of the challenges that China poses to the alliance they aren't a direct military threat, which is what NATO has been focusing on uh, until now, effectively. We're talking about new domains. We're talking about transnational issues. So NATO is also going to have to figure out how it wants to position themself, itself in all of these new areas, new spaces, new domains, before it can even figure out how to deal with China. I mean, we're talking, for example, anything related to norms or to cyberspace or to outer space. This, these are all relatively new to NATO, not entirely new. Of course, they've been the alliance has been dealing with kind of Russian activities in these spaces for a while. But as NATO tries to formulate its future role, uh, China will sort of come into that. But I think China still seen slightly as a secondary issue here. I mean, this is a, a new challenge that in many ways falls out of NATO's traditional area of competence, as you said. Um, economic competition, um, foreign direct investment, and what to do about investment screening. All of these decisions are very much outside of NATO's traditional area of, uh, of competence, and also very much decided at the national level and are highly sensitive for governments who are currently seeking to balance or at least find a balance between their concern for security and their concern for economic growth. Um, here, I, I might disagree with you and, and challenge you a little bit on the role of the EU. So I think I agree, I agree with you that 
the EU itself doesn't have an easy time at coming up with a coherent, uh, robust China policy that all 27 member states agree upon unanimously. I think that's a challenge for the EU itself. But here, the EU has a lot more experience in dealing with China on these non-traditional areas of, of cooperation or concern that NATO doesn't have experience in. So there, I think that that relationship might be one more of learning rather than uh, taking over what what the EU does. It's, it's almost it's almost policy burden sharing between the two, I would suppose. I see your point. I agree in theory. Uh, I think in practice, this is really hard to actually make happen, right? So yes, the EU has a lot more experience when it comes to investment screening mechanisms or to connectivity issues, economic competition. I'm not really sure I see NATO kind of trying to learn from the EU and then reaching some sort of official framework of collaboration so they can come up with a policy together. Uh, Also, we need to ask ourselves, would NATO even want that? Or is this only certain NATO allies that are EU member states? Uh, Would the US want the EU to play an important role inside the alliance in terms of developing a new China policy? Would Canada, would Turkey, would any of the other allies that aren't EU member states? So I think there's potential there. I just don't particularly see it happening right now. Lastly, do you think it's a challenge for NATO that it doesn't operate in the Indo-Pacific arena or theater when it comes to establishing a China policy? Or will it be a challenge for them to only focus on China closer to home? That's an interesting question. Um, I mean, again, when we look at NATO's traditional area of competence and, and kind of what the alliance does best, of course, having a presence, even if small, in the Indo-Pacific could make things easier. But that would also really overstretch the alliance, Um, especially when you look at some of the smaller NATO members in Europe. Let's say that they couldn't really do a lot of burden sharing if NATO was present in the Indo-Pacific and also still in Europe and everywhere else in the world that it is. So operationally, I think it would be quite complex Um, and it would open up a whole set of other challenges. The reaction from China would definitely not be positive uh, in terms of having NATO appear militarily in the Indo-Pacific. I mean, again, if Beijing sees NATO as a US-centric alliance and therefore sees NATO as a potential threat that's there to contain China, NATO establishing a military presence in the Indo-Pacific, which would be very US-heavy, most likely, would not make things any better. Um, I mean, as we've seen Secretary General Stoltenberg say, he doesn't want NATO to go to East Asia, to the South China Sea, etc. But when you look at his NATO 2030 initiative, one of his main priorities is to kind of make NATO engage more globally. Uh, And that can be done by engaging with partners. Uh, NATO has a number of global partners in the Asia-Pacific region uh, that NATO should really be focusing on, uh, strengthening that relationship, helping them build expertise, helping them with training. There's a lot of things that can be done. Uh, It is sort of low-hanging fruit. And it will also, of course, help NATO gain expertise and gain knowledge about China 
and about how countries in the region, countries that are China's neighbors, actually deal with the challenges that an increasingly assertive China, an increasingly assertive PLA even, uh, poses. Uh, they deal with this on a daily basis. Um, so I don't think it's very productive personally for NATO to establish a military presence in the Indo-Pacific at this stage, but the alliance should definitely be focusing on working more with partners in the region. Now, we started off discussing a little bit about how China used to view NATO and how China has viewed NATO in the past. How do you think China views NATO today? Certain allies, I think, are more hesitant than others to speak uh, as as NATO uh, about the challenges that China poses for fear of turning China into an adversary when it isn't. Um, what has the reaction from China been here? The reaction from China has been quite negative. Uh, the 2019 uh, statement coming out of the leaders meeting, again, talking about the challenges that China poses, even if they try to couch it in sort of nice language about opportunities, that wasn't well received in China. Uh, that was seen as yet another sign that NATO is nothing but a US-dominated group of countries that are now trying to take on China and to contain its rise. Um, again, that opinion existed before, but now it's become very much mainstream uh, in China. And I think uh, the quote that highlights that almost perfectly was by Kang Jie of the China Institute of International Studies, who referred to NATO as falling into the quagmire of bloated organization out-of-focus construction, and weak reforms. Uh, ultimately, he argued NATO was even helpless against Russia, its primary opponent. So I think to, to summarize, a concern for China that it is on NATO's radar, but perhaps not an immediate concern. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, China is very worried about being kind of in NATO's crosshairs, but it doesn't see NATO as its main adversary. It, it still doesn't see NATO as a clear enemy. Um, I mean, China, especially these days, is still very much focused on the US, uh, the EU, and kind of therefore NATO allies that are EU member states are still seen as more honest brokers, a little bit more balanced, somewhere in the middle. So yes, China sees NATO as being quite US-centric and US-dominated, but not entirely. Uh, so I don't think NATO is an immediate concern at this stage, but it very well may become one if the alliance does develop a China policy that is firmer. Well, I look forward to seeing what that China policy looks like next year when the leaders have decided on what it will be. I think that's all the time we have for today. But thank you for a real tour de raison on this topic. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Maya. And to our listeners, thank you for joining as well. Be sure to keep an eye out for Helena and my upcoming publication on NATO's China Challenge, which will be released in December 2020. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Strategic. And as always, please don't forget to follow, rate, and subscribe to Sound Strategic wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And for all the latest analysis on international conflict, security, and defense issues, remember to follow the IISS on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or visit the IISS website. Thank you, and see you next time.